0: That's invest H E R, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: When I went to the property, obviously the X tier innovation budget quadrupled, or I guess went up by six, whatever that term is. So that obviously radically changed the entire model. But that was something that would have been impossible to know without actually visiting the property in person.
0: Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally... the deal you've got, and assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So, debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, all you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously, um, but besides that, you know the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. And his phone number, 212-897-9875. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got follow along Friday today. Got a lot to talk about as it relates to what we got going on. And most importantly, how that can help you and what you got going on. And with us today, as usual, is Theo Hicks. How you doing, Theo? I'm doing great, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing well and looking forward to it. We've got some improvements, some enhancements to the show. And quite frankly, the reason why is to continue to optimize the show as we go, because that's the name of the game, right? You jump in and then you do it, and then you figure out how to enhance what you're doing. And we got two additions to follow-along Friday episodes. And one edition is a best ever trivia question. So we're going to start off with that question, and then we will end with a best ever quote at the end of our conversation. So here's the trivia question. We'll kick this off. With trivia question and then we'll go into our update. So when you know the answer to this trivia question, you can respond in a couple ways. And the first person to respond with the correct answer will get a signed copy of the first book that we wrote, Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Volume 1. So you get a signed copy of the first book. We'll mail it to you. Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 1. So here's the question. A study recently came out, and this study has the housing markets with the biggest increase in million-dollar homes year over year and the year ending in October. Four out of five markets were in what state? You know what state it is, right? What state is it, Theo? California. California. Number one, San Jose, they had a percent change of 14.3%. Number two, San Francisco, number three, Oakland, and number five, Orange County. So these four markets that I just mentioned have the highest increase in million-dollar homes. Well, one market is not in California. What is that city? So there's your question. Clearly, I know you can just Google this, but yeah, so so I I get that, but it's a fun question to think about. Four out of five cities are all in California. And in fact, looking at the list, seven out of 10 of the top 10 cities are in California. But number four is holding strong, not in California. What city is it that has the number four at housing markets with the biggest increase in million dollar homes? Email info at joefairless.com with your answer. Or if you're watching this on YouTube or on our Facebook page, then simply reply below underneath the video, and it will be a race between whoever emails or comments below. Whoever sends a reply first, then you will receive a signed copy of the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 1 book, and we'll mail it out to you. Am I allowed to
1: guess, Joe? <laughs> um, I'm just kidding.
0: You're allowed to
1: guess, but
0: I'm not going to say
1: if you're right or wrong. Okay, because I have no idea. I'm just going to just throw a guess. I'm thinking it's going to be... And I'm not going to give you a response. So you just okay. guess,
0: and then I can't comment because I want to make sure I'm not tipping my hand. Yeah, so what mean, you, what's
1: your guess? My first guess is Denver. So I can't respond. <laughs> Perfect. Maybe each week I'll guess too. And then we'll see how tapped in I am to the real estate market or whatever the the question is about.
0: You should have some sort of negative consequence for if you get it wrong. You should do something like that. You you can can, punished for getting it wrong.
1: You can make up my punishment, Joe, and we'll go over it. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. All right. Something to think about. Okay. What happened this week? What'd you learn?
1: So I've been underwriting a few deals a week, nothing. I had to pull the trigger on and I'm starting to get a better grasp of how to optimize the approach. Of course, it's going to get way better over time. So I wanted to kind of discuss in detail kind of exactly what I do when I go about underwriting deals, not necessarily, like I put this number and this number, but more of the overall process. Um, I wanted to go over that. So the first thing that I do every Monday is I go to my web browser and I favorited all of the listing websites for all the brokers I'm working with. Yep. Of course, whenever they have a new listing, it typically gets sent to my email but not every single time. I'm not really sure why, but not every single one goes there. So I think for me, it's a better process because I can get them all at once. And so I'll check and I will look for deals that meet my investment criteria. So obviously I'll search for Tampa and then I want to see deals that are over a hundred units. And then typically for most of them, there's a small description describing what the opportunity is. And I want to see something about value add. Not all of them are true value adds, but some of them are like turnkey or super luxurious properties. I don't want to do those. So I'll do that and I'll sign all the confidentiality agreements and download all of the documents on Monday. That way I've got a list of properties under it for that week. This week there's only one. Last week there was two and we'll see how many there are this week. I do know that things are slowing down now that we're getting towards the end of the year. So that's step one. Number two is I will... And obviously, I have my schedule. So once the time comes, I will pull up the rent rolls and the T12s. And probably the most tedious aspect is taking those rent rolls and T12s in PDF form and converting them to Excel.
0: What's the so best way to
1: do that? It'll understand the if functions pretty well. Because what will happen is on the rent roll in particular, because the T12 is not that hard. You just unmerge the merge cells and that's really it. But for the rent roll, the problem is is they'll have the different rent codes. So it'll have a market rent, but then it'll have rent, pet, or parking. And the rent is not necessarily directly next to the name. It might be a couple cells below. So you have to do an if function that'll organize everything and then do an if function that allows you to put the actual rental amount in line with the rest of the information. That way, once you do that, you can just sort it and then delete everything else. So I just did it one time and then I just copy and paste my formula in there. But it's still frustrating to do because usually when you unmerge it from PDF, you have to reorganize the entire thing because all of the cells are merged. And so it'll explode out to like 20 or 30 columns and you only really need like five. It probably takes about an hour to just reorganize that rent roll. So my first hire ever in my syndication business will literally be someone to just help with underwriting. And obviously right away, they won't know how to do rental comps, how to determine rental premiums, and how to figure out what the assumptions are, or really much of anything, but they definitely will be able to figure out how to do that part of the process, which is just inputting all the data into the cash flow calculator and then setting that to B so I can cut my time in half. So that's the first thing that I do. Would that really cut it in half?
0: Is that how much time you spend on it relative to other things?
1: Just the inputting aspect of it. Okay. Um, and okay. It's handling the actual financial model, not the in-person visits and talking to brokers, but just the actual financial model. I think it would cut the time and a half. And most of my time would be just doing in-person, boosting the ground stuff and talking to brokers to better the assumptions on there. But it is really annoying (laughs) to do the the rent roll in T12, just everyone knows that. And you'll have to get actually a paid version of PDF to do the conversion, or else you'll have to copy and paste it from PDF to Excel, which will probably take even longer. But ideally, they already have it in Excel for you, but I'd probably say it's 50-50 Excel versus PDF. Now, one of the challenges that I was facing was how do I determine the renovation assumptions and the rental premiums without having to do a full rental cap analysis and without having to visit the property in person? Because if the deal doesn't make sense, or at least potentially make sense, I don't want to spend all that time doing all the extra work. So right now, what I do is I just input the proven rents. That they're currently getting, and I input the cost of the rehabs that they spent to get that rental premiums. Now, so if they don't have that, I will go look at their rental comps that they have and make sure they calculated everything properly, use that rental premium, and then for the renovation assumption, I kind of just do it based off of my experience. And again, I know that this is not going to be the final number that I use. The reason I'm doing that is because I don't want to be like, okay, I've got all the rent roll and T12 data in there. Now I'm going to go drive to the property, drive all the comps, schedule a tour, and then realize that the numbers were pretty similar to the pro forma and the deal doesn't make any sense because then I've wasted all that time. Right now it's not that big of a deal because you know, I'm not underwriting that many deals. We don't have any deals under contract or, or under management and I'm trying to learn the market. So there is benefits from going through that process, but I'm trying to think down the line. Okay, long-term, I'm not going to be able to do full underwriting on every single deal. I need to find some ways to have steps where it's like, okay, let's do this. And then if it passes this step, I'll go into the next phase. So I figure that that's the fastest way to make ballpark assumptions just to see if you're even close to meeting the return that you want. What numbers are you looking for? So for this process, if I see a 15 to 16% IRR or higher, I will pursue it. because I assume these are like best case numbers and it's probably going to go down. If I see 15 to 16% IRR and then an 8% cash on cash return annualized over those five years, not including the sales proceeds, I'll move forward. But if it's the single-digit IRR and the cash on cash return is 5%, then I will not move forward because it's only going to go down after I do my further investigations. Mm-hmm. So for example, the property that I talked about last week, it had a 18 or 19% IRR and like a 9 or 10% cash on cash return based off of these ballpark assumptions. But then when I went to the property, obviously the exterior innovation budget quadrupled, or I guess went up by six, whatever that term is. So that obviously radically changed the entire model. But that was something that would have been possible to know without actually visiting the property in person. So that's something that you really can't cut corners on. So those are the criteria that I'm working with now. So if it passes that step, the next step will be to visit the property in person, informally, so not with the actual broker. So I drive to the property, drive around on Saturday, drive around the grounds, and then I will go visit all the comps in person, do the same thing. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, what I do is I look at the subject property first, and I'll go to the comps and ask myself what, what I need to do to the subject property to make it look like this. And then I'll go back and be like, okay, ballpark would cost X to to this rental comp. Here's how much it's renting for, so here's what the new rental premium would be. And based off of those tours, I'll have a more accurate exterior renovation cost, as well as a more clear understanding of whether or not their rental comps were accurate. If they were accurate, great. If they weren't, then I will go out and find my own on apartments.com. Or while I'm driving, I also kind of make notes of, oh, this apartment looks like it could be a comp. And i also make a mental note in my head that this broker might in the future have comps that aren't correct. It's either the trend in my mind, if it's a one-off thing, or if this is a consistent thing where they're kind of just picking comps out of thin air and not really doing their due diligence on them. Mm -hmm. So if it passes that phase, which the property that I toured last week did, then I will schedule a formal tour with my property management company. And my first tour, only the president was able to come, but they have a VP who is like their construction guy.
0: You verify the assumptions in the first stage with the management company?
1: No, I don't verify them until they actually see it in person. Okay. On one of the deals, I went and visited it myself and kind of explained my ballpark renovation assumptions and they helped me say, okay, this one looks good, this one doesn't look good. But they were actually listing the property or at least they knew the owner or the broker set up a good understanding of it. But maybe that would be something I should add to before I schedule a formal tour after visiting it myself. And I have my budget, sending it to them because I'm sure they know the deal is listed for sale. They know the area. And so they'll at least be able to help me with stabilize expense assumptions, as well as if I mentioned, hey, I plan on replacing the roofs and redoing the parking lot and adding in a playground. I think it's going to cost this much. What are your thoughts on this? Is it accurate? Is it inaccurate? That's probably something I'll actually add because that will be helpful. So I'll visit the property in person with the management company and their construction guy to get a look inside the units so we can confirm the accuracy of the information in the OM about what the current conditions are and what the upgraded units look like. And once I've seen that, as well as done a more detailed tour of the exterior, we're not going to have obviously the perfect costs for the interior and exterior, but it's going to be the best we're going to get before actually putting the property in a contract and doing due diligence. So at that point, I will go back and update my model again, and if the return projections are in line with what our investors want, so 16% IRR, 8% cash and cash return, then we will submit an LOI, which we haven't done yet. So we've done the first four steps. We've not gotten to step five yet, so I'm looking forward to my first LOI and having more details on that process to discuss on following Friday. So the main reason why I want to talk about that is because I'm on bigger pockets a lot. A lot of people ask, what's the quickest way to underwrite a deal? My answer is always, well, there's really is no quick way. There's no 2% or 1% rule for apartments because it varies so much. And this is the most efficient way that I've discovered so far. And I think as time goes on, it's going to get even more efficient. So if I have certain changes or tweaks, I'll definitely make sure I bring those up on future episodes. Awesome.
0: Very helpful, especially since you've been on the ground in bigger pockets, participating in the conversation. And that's come up a lot as you've seen. So I'm glad that you addressed it here because I'm sure a lot of best ever listeners have that same question.
1: Exactly. And then as I mentioned before, my first hire is definitely going to be someone to help me out with underwriting. So right now I can pretty easily underwrite two deals a week. And right now the deals that are coming in aren't exceeding that. I could probably maximally do four a week without, I wouldn't say going insane, but I could probably do four a week <laughs> right now <laughs> without making Marcella go crazy with me being in my office all night underwriting deals. But I think once I have more than four a week, I'm going to work on finding someone. And I'm not necessarily sure how I'll do it right now, but one approach that I've kind of been entertaining is on bigger pot I see a lot of people saying, hey, I'm new to multifamily They either want to mentor or they want to help out some investor to get experience. So I might reach out to one of them and see if that's something they're capable of doing. And obviously I'll I'll pay them, but if they want to get paid, I guess they want to do for free even better. But I think that'll probably be my first approach. And I know you guys posted a job listing on the college job listing site. So we've got UCF right around the corner. So, if it doesn't work out with the bigger pockets people, I will definitely post a listing to there.
0: Yeah, we're hiring an asset manager right now. Is that the job posting that you saw?
1: No, no. I was talking about when you hired underwriters initially. Oh, way back in the day. Yeah, got it. Like got from it. UCLA, yeah. Yep, cool. Good stuff. Very helpful. So, those are my updates. What do you got going on, Joe?
0: Oh, let's see. We're closing on a property next week. Scheduled close date is next week at least. And something interesting is we have a fixed interest rate on that property. And we locked it in about a month ago. It's at 4.5%. So we have a 4.5% fixed interest rate. If we were to lock it in two days ago, it would be 5%. Hmm. So 4.5% versus 5%. Might not seem like a lot, but it's around $160,000 a year savings, $160,000 a year savings with just half a percentage point. So what's the takeaway there? Well, the takeaway is make sure that your crystal ball is nice and polished before you go into a transaction. And what's the real takeaway on that? Well, sometimes... You've got to use your best judgment based on where you think the market's gonna go. The Fed had announced that they were gonna continue to increase interest rates about a month ago. So we decided to lock it in at 4.5%. It was higher than what it had been previously. We thought interest rates were gonna continue to go up. They did, and boom, we got very fortunate because now we've got an incredibly desirable loan that can be assumed by a future buyer when we decide it's the best time to sell and that's the other takeaway is when you lock it in at a fixed interest rate and interest rates continue to rise i've had some investors ask me well with interest rates rising what's that look like for our exit well it it decreases the buying power of buyers who want to buy from us in the future if the interest rates continue to rise however a couple things one is it's more desirable to assume our loan. And that actually increases the marketability of our project when we go to sell it if interest rates are higher than they are at 4.5%. Because then we've got a nice loan that that can be assumed for a 1% assumption fee. And then also when interest rates continue to rise, then it decreases the purchasing power of, people who are buying a home, Mm -hmm. therefore increases the likelihood that you're going to have renters. And there's many things that are happening right now. I read something today that said the mortgage applications are the lowest that they have been in four years since Mm -hmm. December of 2014. And it's due to a variety of factors, but one of them is home prices have been going up until recently. So that's one. And two is interest rates are higher than they have been. So, what's that do to someone on their mortgage? Well, they're not going to be buying right now. So, that helps the cause for cash flow from an apartment community standpoint. Does not help the exit because the buying power isn't as great, Mm -hmm. but it helps the operations and the ongoing ownership and what that looks like from a cash flow standpoint. So, if that's the case then what's the plan? Well the plan is to have longer term debt on properties that way you aren't forced into an exit whenever it's an inopportune time and you can hold on to it and cash flow some pretty good numbers if you've got that fixed interest rate debt and you're in an environment where interest rates have increased and so people aren't buying as much and they're renting more. So it's something I wanted to mention because there's many different things to unpack there and there's a lot of different things to think about.
1: What's the length of the loan?
0: Twelve years.
1: So when someone assumes that at the end of your business plan, would they have to raise the difference between that loan and the purchase price, or would they have to secure a second loan? Yeah, if someone
0: assumes that they're gonna have to pay whatever principal has been paid down up until that point. Hmm. But with this loan, we have six years of interest only. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. so that's incredible. So it's even better. Know, yeah, exactly. So there
1: won't be a difference up through six years. Nice. That's a great thing to think about, getting that fixed interest rate, kind of locking it in. Does that cost to lock that in or do you just say, hey, let's lock it in now? Like, yeah, you know, give them a nod.
0: You always have a fee that you pay to the lender. So when you do lock it in, you have to pay that fee, whether you lock it in earlier or later.
1: Okay, that's so I figured.
0: And then completely separate from that, just really quick, an observation while I was scrolling through my LinkedIn feed the other day, I saw someone who had a screenshot of him being interviewed on a television station. And I forget who was being interviewed by a television station, but it made me think of, and it's not a knock on this person, because again, I, I don't even remember who the person was, but it made me think that when I saw that picture and I saw him being interviewed by the TV station, I thought, oh, he must be a subject expert in whatever he's talking about. And I thought how much on autopilot I was with that thought process. Whereas I actually shouldn't be on autopilot when I initially see someone being interviewed on TV. I shouldn't initially think, oh, wow, they're a big time expert in whatever they're talking about. Because the television stations aren't necessarily looking for someone who has deep knowledge in a certain topic. They're looking for someone who has something that is interesting to their audience and has a way to position that topic so that it brings more clicks to their website. So I'm going to stop myself from thinking, okay, this person is automatically an expert. When I see someone on TV or see someone being interviewed somewhere else, I'm going to just take it with a grain of salt and know that Our interests are not aligned. My interests are not aligned with the television station. They have a certain objective, and that is to increase viewership. And I have an objective, which is to increase myself and my personal development and my business. And perhaps sometimes they overlap because their increased viewership angle will align with what I'm interested in. But then other times it might not align. So it's just something that I thought of and I wanted to mention.
1: The more you become an expert on a specific topic, you realize how long it takes to become an expert on that topic. And if someone at a news station knows very good at the news, but when they bring on an expert, how do they know if this person's actually an expert or not? Because they themselves aren't an expert. That's a good point.
0: Yep. And we'll end with the quote at the Gosh, I'll just say it now. Why not? Okay. Oh, one other thing about the trivia question. So Theo, if you can help us put this in our notes for future episodes. Next week, we will tell you the answer to today's trivia question. So we won't leave you hanging in case you don't want to do that Google search or do the legwork, but you're still curious what city we're talking about. And then next week, we'll state the answer. And you'll um, definitely so- want to
1: come back to learn about my punishment if I was wrong too. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I got to <laughs> think about that.
0: And with the quote to think about the best ever quote, I'm studying chess right now. I've now beat my wife, Colleen, I don't know, like five, six times in a row after losing a couple times to her because I've been watching YouTube videos and going a little (laughs) bit sane on it. So this is a quote from Emmanuel Lasker. He's a world chess or was a world chess champion for 27 years back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he says, when you see a good move, look for a better one. When you see a good move, look for a better one. Certainly applies to us as real estate entrepreneurs. So think about that one. When you see a good move, look for
1: a better one. And we'll roll into the next segment. Great. So the last two things. Number one, the best ever conference, besteverconference.com in Denver at the end of February. The third one, We've so far we've got 18 confirmed speakers on the website. So make sure you... Check that out to see the returning and new speakers. One of the speakers we're going to talk about today is Mark Massia. He was a speaker at the first conference, and he was actually one of the featured chapters in the first Best Ever book, which we're giving away to the winner of the trivia question. And I believe his chapter was about developing over a billion dollars in real estate. So he's got a lot of experience, and he actually raises money for his deals, And I remember when I spoke to him last, he was either just beginning or had already started, but it was the beginning phases of raising money through 506C. So he was publicly advertising and he will use that money to develop commercial real estate, specifically retail and medical. So at the conference, he'll likely be talking about development strategies as well as raising money specifically for that 506C. So kind of strategies for advertising to raise capital. So you'll definitely want to listen to him talk as well as pick his brain during the networking sessions. If you have any interest in raising capital for any types of deals, and if you're specifically interested in development or wanted to learn more about development or how to manage retail medical, to so I know that they continue to hold on to them after development, Mark Masia is going to be your go-to guy.
0: He's a great guy. I've had dinner with him multiple times. Adjunct professor at NYU, or he was. I'm not sure if he still is. And experienced commercial real estate investor. You'll want to hear what he says at the conference.
1: Yep. And then lastly, make sure you pick up the best ever apartment syndication book on Amazon. And if you buy the book, leave a review and send us a screenshot to info at joe fairless. We will send you some free syndication goodies. And we will read your review on the podcast. This week's review of the week comes from Gimlet. And they said, this is my fourth read on how to get started in syndications. And this is worth every, in all caps, penny. Joe and Thea walk you through all details on how to get your business started. Pair this with the tools that are referenced. You have everything you need to lay the groundwork to launch. Just get it.
0: Well, thank you, Gimlet. And thanks for taking the time to do that review and really appreciate it. it. helps us continue to grow the community. Thanks again for everyone hanging out with us. Hope you learned a lot. Have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.